Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you uh, do not have a Bible, you can grab one of those pew Bibles uh, there in front of you. There's three or so sprinkled throughout the row, and that's on page 910 in that pew Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you are welcome to uh, take one of those as a gift from us. This morning, we're more than happy to give a copy of God's Word to you. We want you to have that. So we may be feeling a bit of a buyer's remorse today and or uh, this last week. So I thought this was a perfect time to make you feel guilty about money and giving. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. I, I do think it is good for us from time to time to touch base on the issue of the stewardship of our uh, money and to bring clarity about what we teach concerning giving, not just, of course, money, but time and energy and all those kinds of things. And since we have had uh, so, some, so many new folks come into our fellowship and uh, we've not studied this in some time, I thought it would be good for us to enter the new year uh, with this uh, principle of worship, really, on our mind. I would also commend the current class on stewardship being led by Justin McMenemy to you. Uh, we'll be back into that study next week in our equip hour. Uh, but I thought to, to complement that and to think about the new year as we uh, come into that, it would be good for us to, to think about giving in this new year, the stewardship of giving, the worship aspect of, of giving. And so if you're able to, would you please stand with me? I'm going to read aloud the Word of God as you follow along there in your copy of God's Word. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. That is the word of God. You may be seated. May it be a blessing to you as you've heard it both read in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant this morning. Would you join me in prayer once again? Oh Lord, this morning we come to um, a topic that is difficult uh, for a pastor to stand up and preach about. And so I pray that you would um, enable me this morning, Lord, and um, pray that you would give us wisdom as we study your word together As we open your word, we are reminded that your Holy Spirit inspired uh, the words and the original autographs, which we have, thankfully, in um, uh, very uh, good copies of your word in our language today. And so we're grateful for that, Lord. And I pray that your same Holy Spirit would now illuminate our understanding to these truths. And Lord, continue to humble us. I pray that you get me out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Many of us have flipped through the television stations and landed on the channel with the man in a very nice suit, perfect hair, gleaming white teeth through a swindling huckster smile. If we watch for any length of time, we 
Know that sooner or later it's going to come down to this. The preacher will proclaim, if you'll just send us $20, the Lord has told me he will increase your seed gift. Some, for some reason, it's always a seed gift. By 70-fold. If you have enough what? Faith, right? Then it'll rattle off some passage of Scripture taken out of context about how, how God will increase your money. Sadly, many are duped into believing this sort of snake oil salesman approach and are taken for all the money or a lot of money that they have while these charlatans get richer by the day. Well, if any of you know real preachers with hearts that seek to be humble and those seeking to live lives in a biblical way, you should know and be able to recognize the difference. Not the least reason being that we, can I say I, Brother Keith, pastor down there, are super uncomfortable with preaching about giving, aren't we, bro? (laughs) Brother Keith over there from uh, Emmanuel Baptist in Bloomington. Grateful for you, brother. But this is an uncomfortable subject. We don't like to preach on it because we know that our salary comes from the kind gifts of the church. And we know the reputation, of course, especially, I think, as the secular world looks in and, and, and says the churches only ever talk about needing or wanting money. But one of the matters we see over and over again in the scriptures are matters dealing with giving and with money. Sometimes it's abuses of having too much and not dealing with it rightly. Sometimes it's the abuse of the religious squeezing every last bit of, out of some poor victim And sometimes it is an appeal to do what is right for those who are needing to be ministered to. We can't deal with every single passage on giving this morning, but I wanted us to take a closer look at 2 Corinthians 9 and talk about this biblical uh, stewardship of giving. In the first five verses that we read here from Paul, he's expanding on what he's been talking about in chapter 8, namely that there is a collection that is being taken up for the church's uh, uh, by the churches, I'm sorry, for the church in Judea. Uh, this uh, is seen from the path of Paul's journey expressed in chapter 1 and the facts of chapter 8. He begins by telling them that he does not need to talk to them about the need of the G- Judean church again because they had already, he had already been told, they had already told him about it. They are ready and willing to help. The reason Paul raises the issue is so that they would ready the gift when someone arrives to collect it so that they would not be embarrassed, and that Paul would not be embarrassed about boasting about them, so that the gift would be ready. Beyond this, he also wanted to address the way in which they take up that collection. So those who gave would do so willingly, not seeing it as an exaction, as it says in what we read earlier. And even here we begin to see the difference in the motive for those who would seek to somehow fleece the flock and those who are seeking to collect with the intention of godly use. I want us to see this morning this. The main point is this. It's on your worship folder. Giving is an act of worship, not restricted to our money alone, but in all ways recognizing and giving thanks to God who has given us all we need in Christ. To summarize, nothing we have is not given from God. Giving is an act of worship, not restricted to our money alone, but in all ways recognizing and giving thanks to God who has given us all we need in Christ. It is with this in mind that Paul lays out four principles of the stewardship of giving in the verses following what we read in our scripture reading 
in our New Testament Scripture reading. The first is this, the principle of sacrificial giving in verse 6. The principle of sacrificial giving. Look at what it says there. The point is this. Isn't that nice when the Bible says, when an author says, the point is this. Like, here it is. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul seems to be basing what he says here on the example of the Macedonians in chapter 8 and verses 1 through 5. Just look over there at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 5. Look at what he says there. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by will of God to us. What an encouraging truth to read this morning. The overflow of generosity out of the place of beyond the means that they were able to give as they had been tested and afflicted. This is the testimony that Paul gives about the Macedonian church. Notice the grace of God given to these churches who gave above and beyond their ability. And we see this reflected once again in chapter 9 and verse 6. The language of sowing and reaping. Sowing sparingly reaps a sparing result, whereas sowing with bounty, literally with blessing, also produces bountiful blessings. Now, almost immediately, because we've been so conditioned either positively or negatively by the TV charlatans, we need to say what this is not saying. What Paul is not saying is that if you give a lot, you will get a great return on your investment. Meaning that if I give much, God is obligated to give me a good return like he's some sort of a stock manager in heaven. Like, like God, I gave you this amount of money, now I expect this kind of return. This is the fallacy of the prosperity gospel swindlers. Beyond preaching a false gospel, which is no gospel at all, as Paul says in Galatians, they also preach that if you give them your money, God will increase your money if you have enough what faith, right? They always put in the escape plan for them if you don't see a return. Right? You did not have enough faith. Instead, the biblical idea is when we give sacrificially above and beyond, not sparingly, there will be a blessing for us in that. This may or may not mean a monetary blessing, but there is a blessing in the giving. Paul speaks that way about the Ephesians he met, uh, had met his needs, I'm sorry, in Acts 20, verses 34 and 35, where he says, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. There are other means by which God will bless us besides the monetary means. There is, of course, the blessing of seeing others blessed, knowing that we have helped others. Out of our increase, we've been able to help where they have lacked. There's the blessing of seeing the gospel furthered by means of our blessing of others reflecting our proclamation of the gospel as well. We will see this principle of blessing expand 
expanded upon as we work through our text. Dear ones, we must not look to our limitations and say, this is all I can give for it not to hurt. When we talk about sacrifice, we're talking not about foolishly giving to the point where we will hurt our families. Not at all. We are talking about taking inventory of our lives and sacrificing things that are less important than the kingdom of God and giving in such a way that shows that the gospel has impacted our desires and expectations and what this life has to offer. Which, I will unashamedly say, is not much when we consider eternity. Maybe practically this means for us as we're evaluating and giving inventory of our finances or our time or our energy, it's one less trip to our favorite lunch place. Or, or giving up a, a subscription to your favorite magazine. Do people still do that? People subscribe to magazines still? Dear ones, listen. It's all going to burn. We, we, we need to have an eternal focus. What does Paul say? What is the personal cost as compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us? This leads us to our second principle in which Paul talks about the attitude we are to have in regard to this stewardship. And that is the principle of cheerful giving in verse 7. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Expanding now on the issue mentioned in verse 5, that this is to be a willing gift and not an exaction, Paul gives the attitude in which things are to be given. We are to be cheerful givers, he says. The idea here is not that we force a smile as we give, but that we will be able to give cheerfully as we take the steps that Paul has laid out here. In other words, the end result of what he says in verse 7 is that we will be able to be cheerful in our giving. What does he say? How does he lay this out for us? First, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Contextually, the idea is in regard to the offering that is at hand. Uh, in other words, this offering for the churches in Judea. And that, that's what he's talking about. He's in context talking about, we need to determine ahead of time what we're going to give in regard to this offering. Now, they've already said they will give. Now the church is gathered together listening to Paul's letter. And he's telling them, he's saying, listen, uh, each person needs to give according to what they have determined in their heart, between them and God. But this broadly could be applied to all of our giving. Now, we're very, we're, we're, we're a lot of us, most of us are Westerners, right? We're very practical in our thinking. And you're waiting for the, how much should I give, right? That's the, that's the question that's maybe in your mind right now. So are we talking about the tithe or how, 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 do, we, how do we deal with this? And, and, and one of the questions that inevitably comes up is the question of tithing and 10% of the first fruits. Tithing began before the Mosaic Law. Oftentimes we want to shift our focus on the Mosaic Law and say, uh, there was 10% uh, for certain things. There was another percentage for other things. And, and we begin to, begin to put that together. But tithing began before the Mosaic Law. In Genesis chapter 14, we see Abraham giving Melchizedek the priest 10% of the spoils from battle. This again happens in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 22 when Jacob promises to give the Lord 10% of all that he gives him. When we get to the Mosaic Law, it is not 10% alone, as I mentioned. It is estimated that the actual amount that Israel would have to pay in when all their tithes were added up was somewhere between 25 and 
percent. But but we have to remember that this portion, this twenty-five to thirty percent, was under the economy of the nation of Israel. So if ten percent precedes the Mosaic covenant, and we are not the nation in the sense that Israel was, ten percent may be a good place to aim, and if possible, start. And, and so there, there is a baseline for us as we consider how we give. Notice I said it's a place to aim, and in some instances a place to start. I, I know, well, let me first say what I don't know. I don't know what anybody in this church gives. I, I know that zero. Except for the, on the occasion when somebody calls and says, hey, did, you, did the church get that check for such and such amount of dollars? And I say, oh, I want to hang up the phone. Don't tell me that. <laughs> that goes to Gary Holmes. You tell Gary that. <laughs> Don't tell me that. But I know zero. None of the elders know what anybody gives in this church except for what they themselves give back to the church. But I also know that 10% for some of our families would be quite a stretch beyond what would be feasible in regard to surviving. So what I, what I don't want to do this morning, and I have to be very careful about this, there are differing opinions on this, so I want to bind your conscience to that. But I also don't want to let loose and say giving is optional. That is not true in the Scriptures at all. Jesus says to his disciples, not if you give, he says when you give. Giving is worship. And it's not just, again, the monetary means, it is in so many ways, but we think of it often. And I mean, the reality is, is that ministry takes money, ministry takes giving for the advancement of the gospel. So 10% may be a good place to aim for, a good place to start. Some can't give 10%. But if we say it's a good place to start, perhaps, and most likely there are others who can give beyond that. The principle that we see here in Paul's words is that it's from the overflow of God's grace that we understand how giving works in the New Covenant community. Over and abundant and more and more because God has given us such great wealth in His grace. I would uh, commend to you an article that my dear brother Keith wrote. I read it this morning on, on giving. I didn't even think about the fact he'd be here this morning, brother. On the Reformed Baptist blog, I would just, just type in Keith Troop, T-H-R-O-O-P, and uh, giving Reformed Baptist blog, and, and you'll find it. Really great article. Really helpful on this point. The principle that Paul lays forth in these verses is that we're to be sacrificial in our giving and we're to give as determined in our hearts. Again, we must take an inventory and plan according to our budgets, but give in such a way that lets us sacrifice some of the better things but unnecessary things for us so that the greater glory of God goes forth, that the kingdom goes forth. Because of this, Paul goes on to say, we are to give from our hearts so that it's not done reluctantly or under compulsion, without reluctance. The idea here is that it's not a grief for the giver to give. What happens if we rush a decision in purchasing something? We call it buyer's remorse, right? We might call this giver's remorse. 
If I give impulsively, it will grieve me. If I don't put thought into it, if I don't pray about it, if I don't, in a marriage, speak with my spouse about it and, and look at our finances and, and give an inventory. He doesn't want for us to give under compulsion. The, this idea is uh, out of a feeling of necessity or pressure of obligation. We are, at the end of the day, obligated by God. We're commanded to give. But we don't want our hearts to be disengaged from the process. If I'm only giving because I'm obliged to do so, where is the heart engagement in that? Let me give you an illustration that uh, John Piper gives uh, in regard to this idea. Let's say that uh, I show up to the door of my house and I ring the doorbell. Behind my back, I have a wonderful bouquet of flowers. My wife opens the door and I pull out the flowers and I say, here you go, honey. She says, oh, Jason, those are beautiful flowers. Thank you so much. And I say to her, yeah, sure, I'm obligated to do this. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what a husband is supposed to do is give his wife flowers, right, honey? That's... I need to do this because this shows love between you and me. Very mechanical. But what's a better response? Honey, it is a joy for me to give you gifts. It is a joy for me to give you the gift of a clean kitchen when you get home. She loves that. It's a joy for me to give you these flowers because I love you. But did you notice it's a joy for me to do this? My heart is engaged in it. Rather than, well, this is what husbands are supposed to do, right? This is the idea of being a cheerful giver. This is, the, this is a part of our worship to God. If something pleases God, then it is worshipful. One of the things that we try to stress from time to time here is that worship is not just when we gather together to sing on Sunday mornings. That is the singing portion of worship. There's a giving portion of worship. There's a word portion of worship. There's a sacrament or ordinance portion of worship in in the Lord's table, in baptism. We have these ideas of worship then that flow into the rest of our life as well, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, that we're to give ourselves sacrificially in our life to the Lord. Our attitude ought to be worship in all aspects of our life. And you've heard me say this a lot over the last seven years. We are the church. The church is not a building. Certainly we don't want to uh, discount the idea of gathered worship. That is also commanded and something we ought to delight in. But we are to... Um, be engaged as the body of Christ at all times. All that we do at all times is to be a reflection of our worship of God, who through Jesus Christ's substitutionary death has saved us, has brought us into his family. When we seek to give sacrificially, it should not be because we have been guilted into doing it or that we make a snap decision in giving, but because we recognize our sacrifice is for the supply of others and for the sake of the gospel to be advanced. And when we do it with the right attitude, 
We are pleasing God and therefore glorifying him. And we in our hearts are worshiping him. What does the word worship come from? It comes from the idea of worthiness, that God is worthy of that. This then leads to a third principle. The principle of expectation based on God's grace. Look at verses 8 through 10. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. From our Old Testament reading this morning, Psalm 112, he supplies... He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase your harvest for righteousness. Paul tells them that God's character is to graciously supply all that we need. We call that sufficiency. That which is necessary in all things at all time, your needs and the needs of others, so that we may abound in every good work. Notice the idea of giving sacrificially. We don't have the promise of God being a genie in a lamp granting us 70-fold because we're giving our seed money in faith. No, we see us giving up what is not necessary, sacrificing some of our comforts in order to see God supply what we what? Need. It's amazing to me the times I've seen this in our own lives. Where, you know, it's like um, we write this giving check to the church and uh, we pray that God will supply what we need for this next week. And he always has. He always has in one way or another. Here in this text, Paul cites Psalm 112 and verse 9. The idea is that the one who has been blessed by God has the capacity to bless others. As such, this person is living rightly, living righteously. This is further expanded by what Paul says in verse 10. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God who supplies for your needs will also multiply it, not for your sake, but for the sake of your continued righteous deeds. One of the truths we need to hold on to is that when we speak of giving, we are talking about giving back to God a portion of what is already his. And you hear sometimes either Pastor Steve or one of the ushers pray that, right? We're we're giving back a portion of what is already God's. There is nothing that is not in God's possession. That's why we use that word stewardship in regard to this. God has given us his resources for us to use, and we must be wise stewards. And you know what, folks? Let's, dear ones, we need to be honest with each other. There are times where we do not do that well. My question is, do we repent when that happens? <laughs> like, you gave me this stewardship and I did not use it well. Please forgive me for that. He supplies and gives according to our needs as well as supplying what we need in order to give. Dear ones, our expectation should be that the sovereign God of the universe will supply all of our needs, even to the point of us being able to give more and do the righteous acts that God has prepared for us to do, as it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. This ultimately drives us to the principle found in verses 11 through 15. The principle of finding our satisfaction in God himself. 
This sacrificial generosity, this cheerful attitude, this expectancy of what God will do according to His grace produces a thankfulness to God born out of a remembrance of what He has already done. Look at verses 11 through 15. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to whom? To God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Paul shows that the supplying of their needs to the abundance of their giving causes thankfulness to God from Paul and his companions and the churches who will receive this help. Beyond this, it also produces, uh, as I said, thanksgiving in the people who receive the gift in verses 12 through 13. And notice that the willingness to give in the way Paul describes is because of their confession of the gospel of Christ. The fuel of our worship, including our giving, should only ever come from our understanding of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus and living in that thankfulness, living in the reality of that finished work of Christ. God has brought us from death to life and has made us new creations in Him because Christ stood in our place, taking the wrath of God that we deserve, and He rose again, confirming the payment on the cross and guaranteeing our own resurrection. And we see, lastly, that this is an outward indication of the grace of God upon the Corinthians. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then Paul ends this with the only one who deserves praise for these things. That, of course, is God himself. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What does James tell us in James chapter 1? All good gifts come from whom? God. The Father of lights, right? Whatever God gives is good, and because He is the very definition of what is good, He is to be praised. He is to be praised. Notice it again. I just, I love, this is so exciting. Look at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. This is all Godward. This is all focused upon the triune God being praised, who supplies all of our needs. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. And we're just, in many ways, including giving, saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Now, in in this local assembly, that money is given. And we, as elders, as pastors, have a responsibility to distribute those funds 
in, in biblical ways, in stewarding ways. And you have every right and every responsibility to come and ask us about that. We, we have no problem disclosing to you the reasons for why we do what we do, the categories we have in our budget, and, and all those kinds of things. We want you to do that. And I think what you would see is that it's all going towards ministry of one kind or another. It's not what I think you would see. I know you would see that. For the advancement, especially, of the gospel here and around the world. Um, I think it was Pastor Steve said in our budget meeting a few weeks ago that we give, correct me, brother, $52,000 a year to missions, something like that. That is, for a church this size, that's just wonderful. And, and let me just pause for a moment and say, I, I, I don't want to gild the lily here this morning. This is a very giving church. We have far more and beyond what we need and what we can bless others with. And God has been so gracious in your giving. So don't, don't hear this as a, any sort of a um, condemnation. This is a commendation <laughs> to excel still more when God blesses us to bless others. Dear ones, if you are in Christ, recognize that anything you have is God's and it is given to you by Him for His purpose and He is calling us to be good stewards of those things. We must learn to take inventory of what is necessary and give sacrificially, determining what we should give ahead of time so that we give purposefully and not compulsively. Therefore, worshiping God as cheerful givers who recognize we deserve none of it to begin with. Consider how you would give in light of what you have heard this morning. It's a perfect time. A new year starting. We can sit down, take inventory, look at our budgets. So are we being the best stewards of the things that God has given us? Time, money, energy, all those things. We do all of this as we reflect upon the ultimate that God has given us in Christ Jesus, who stood in our place, taking the wrath we deserved and the hope that we have because of the resurrection. And since it is a gospel issue, it counts for so much more than monetary giving. God has certainly blessed this local assembly by sacrificial giving. We need to continue and excel still more in this. Yet as we consider the needs of others, how quick are we to say, we have given financially, therefore I have no need of giving my time or other resources for the sake of the local assembly. I mentioned a few weeks ago the number of homebound folks from our assembly uh, is increasing. You need to consider how you can sacrifice your time and energy for the sake of visiting the sick and infirmed of our assembly. Remember, Jesus teaches us that when we do this for the least of our brothers, it is as if we are serving him. Matthew 25. For those who are not in Christ or are questioning where you stand with Christ, Do you not also recognize that all you have is from God? He has been merciful to give both to the just and the unjust. Recognize that what you deserve is the same as what we all deserve for sin, and that is the wrath of God for eternity. Because He is the very definition of what is good, and we have all violated that. 
would you partake of what God has given in Jesus Christ so that you may be made right with God through Christ's death and resurrection this morning. God's gift to you is a right relationship with Him if you would turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning we are grateful to know that all that we have is from you. And that is convicting, Lord, because we, well, I have not always stewarded that well. Yet, Lord, we are to give from our first fruits. Lord, I pray for the dear families of Fellowship Bible Church, especially the covenant members of our church, as they, what I pray, would sit down and consider this coming year and how they would steward their finances, their time, their energy for the sake of your kingdom, especially as it is found here in the ministries of this local assembly and in the ways that we support missionaries and other ministries here and around the world. Lord, we have been so blessed, both individually, as families, and as this local assembly. Lord, so blessed. I pray that we would be good and faithful stewards of what you have blessed us with. Lord, and for those who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone. That they would hear, Lord, not just a sermon about what the church is to give, but the reason being worship because you have given us everything, including us, including giving us your son. And uh, Lord, that is the wealthiest uh, that any of us could be. I pray that they would come to know you today. And Lord, even as we take up a benevolent offering here at the end of our time, that I pray that we would not do so under compulsion. Maybe it needs to come next week so people can pray about it, they forgot about it or whatever. But Lord, that it would be collected for the sake of especially serving those within our local assembly who are struggling. So Lord, we ask for your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen.